0: all right here's your here's your table question today you ready what's your favorite um, western of all time now you guys many of you met Rhonda's dad who would come visit us occasionally and all I had to do if I had to go to work and he was at the at the house is turn on some you know western channel and he was good for the day uh, watching one bonanza after another you know or whatever uh, the rifleman after another. But what's your favorite Western, either movie or show? Talk about that around your table. I've got one I want to talk to you about. So talk to you about talk to your table about that.
1: That's am That's
0: I really like uh, Silverado and I like um, Open Range. You know that one? Yeah, yeah. Duvall and uh, Kevin Costner? Costner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just thought it think it is. Alright, I'm I'm curious for the verdict. Now I need to ask Mr. Tombstone over here. <laughs> what what was your favorite, Joe? I didn't even ask you. Movie was Yeah. Uh El Dorado. Uh, that, that's an older one. Maverick. Okay. So what was it? Frank, what was your favorite? Tombstone. Tombstone. You, you, can, you can probably tune in any time of the day somewhere and find Tombstone. Yeah. Uh, there's just so many classic lines out of things. Somebody else. <laughs> what? Angel and the Badman. Angel and the Badman. I'm going to look that one up. I'm going to look that one up. Cindy? So that would be one of mine. Yeah. I just love the cast and so on. Doyle? High noon. <coughs> High noon. Yeah. Is that Gary Cooper? Yep. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's who I thought. All right. Laura? The, uh, Magnificent seven. The, the new one or the old one? You like them both? Magnificent yeah. seven. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like I'm, I'm going to talk to you for a minute about one because it fits into our conversation for today. It is also one that I really like. But it's dark. Um, But there are a couple of lines out of it that are just so repeatable. Uh, Maybe, though, not in Sunday school. So, okay. Um, uh, 1992, the film Unforgiven... Uh, Won four Academy Awards, including the award for Best Picture. Now, think about it. In 1992, for a Western to get Best Picture is kind of a a feat in itself. You remember who was the star of Unforgiven? Eastwood. Guys, I know this is going online, but he looked old then. (laughs) Uh, In that one, you know. um, It's all that sun. Huh? Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, he played a farmer who had previously been a gunslinger, and it was, he had to go back to being a gunslinger briefly because of um, um, there was something that happened that he just couldn't forgive. Unforgiving, remember that whole thing. And um, it seemed like, you know, in the Wild West, um, it seemed like that a person was only forgiven or unforgiven on the basis of kind of uh, what you might call self-rationalization. You know, it, it was kind of nebulous who got forgiven and who didn't get forgiven. I, I think of the end of the book of Judges, and it's quoted a couple of times in the book of Judges when it says, uh, and ever up? everybody did that which was right in their own eyes. Uh, you know, it's kind of the the Wild West. Well, um, If you remember Eastwood's character, his last name was Money, but I can't think of his first name. M-U-N-N-Y. Mr. 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 Money, especially when he had a gun in his hand. Yeah. Uh, uh, William Money. William William Money, you're absolutely right. Now, uh, as I recall, he was in despair that whole movie. It was kind of dark. Now, interestingly, we're going to encounter something, and I'm I'm going to... Ask Rhonda, I prayed about this on the way up here. Uh, I prayed that <laughs> that we wouldn't get dragged into, into a conversation about the unforgiven, the unforgivable sin, but we're going to read that passage in context today. Um, what I want us to catch is that Jesus really believes that we need to play, pay close attention to what he has to say anytime he says it, and certainly when it's on this uh this subject of forgiveness. So we're going to look at two kingdoms in conflict, the kingdom of the devil and the kingdom of God. And by the way, are you aware? In the Old Testament, those two kingdoms were always in conflict. In the New Testament, those two kingdoms were always in conflict. A dirty little secret, they're still in conflict. Okay. So we're huh? We know who wins. I've read the end of the book, you know, Jonathan. I've read the end of the book. Now, so Matthew writes the gospel of Matthew. We're going to start in Matthew 12, about verse 22. So, Steve, if you'll tune up in just a minute, we'll we'll get there. Uh, He was one of the 12, original 12. If you remember, he was a tax collector. That made him not a very popular guy. Uh, Most tax tax collectors were skimming a bit off the top before they gave it to Rome, and Rome allowed them to do that. you don't believe me about that, read the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 9, who was also a tax collector, and he was wealthy, and, um, and he ends up having to say, I gotta, I've got to pay back a, a lot that I've stolen over the years. Um, interestingly, um, Matthew is called, in one spot at least, the son of Alphaeus, which makes me wonder, is he also the brother of James the Less? who was also a son of Alpheus? I, I don't know that, but it just, just kind of raises the question. Um, anyway, um, he is uh, the writer of what we're getting to today. And um, uh, we will talk about, uh, a little bit about him and certainly what how he um, uh, kind of deals with this issue. Now, The other, kind of the major characters in this story, besides Jesus and a person that he heals, are Pharisees. What do we know about Pharisees?
1: Self-righteous.
0: Pretty self-righteous. Actually, they're also pretty righteous in their own right, in some ways. Uh, They even dress differently. So you'd know, if there was a Pharisee in the room, uh, we'd know it by the way they dressed And probably a little bit by their demeanor. You know, they kind of followed all the rules and and they studied all the rules, make sure they followed the rules. rules. And they added hundreds of them to uh, what you and I read in the the Old Testament. Um, Interestingly, they were not really a major sect by Jesus' day. There may have been less than 10,000 of them alive when Jesus was walking the planet. I find that interesting. Because there were millions of Jewish people in in the land, and this few kind of kind of the few the brave, and the righteous you know uh, we get we get to see now Jesus frequently gets into it with them, and in most of those discussions he is um, pointing out their hypocrisy and he's going to certainly do it here and he does it in just a brilliant way and we're going to look a little bit at that but I want to ask you a question that I'm going to ask you later you ready careful with where you go with this did Jesus love Pharisees don't answer it yet But think about it as we look at this story. Now, Steve, if you'll go to Matthew 12, read 22, 23, and 24.
2: Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that
0: this fellow drives out demons. All right, now, um, they who brought this man to be healed, probably not the Pharisees in context. Probably, you know, sometimes they would bring him somebody just to kind of trip him up. Probably not. It just says they. It's probably a crowd of people. There was somebody there who had a relative or a friend who needed healing. They brought him to Jesus. But Jesus already had developed a, a a a following and a reputation as a healer. Look back at verse 15. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all. Uh, Interesting. He's got a reputation. The word healing here is the word from which we get the word therapy. Interesting. So it wasn't that Jesus uh, provided some therapy or something, but certainly what he was doing with him was instantly Therapeutic, a person made whole by the touch of Jesus. His healing often involved, and it's controversial still today. Jesus' healing often involved the casting out of demons. Uh, I still get in in a little bit of conversation with folks about that, um, and um, one of the things we kind of got to deal with, I think, is why were Was there so much of that happening in those days? And my best answer to that question is, with the Son of God walking the planet, the devil was not happy. And he was kicking around anybody he could kick around because he could bug them because he couldn't. He knew exactly who Jesus was. And you look, especially in the book of Mark, you look at it, there are constantly times where Jesus is encountering a demonic person and the demon talks to him. And says, leave me alone to Jesus. Well, um, so you kind of get, get that story. Now, what was the man's illness in verse 22? Isn't that an interesting combination? Uh, it's like, okay, wait a minute, Matthew, you got it wrong. He was, he was deaf and, and mute, right? No. Blind and mute. Two, two completely, I mean, like, disconnected things. You know, we we will see in other places that he uh, meets a person who is is deaf and mute because those two things kind of tend to go together. But this one is blind and mute. And Jesus healed both uh, so that he could, and here's what you can fill in your blank, he could both then talk and see. Now um, So what about the demon? Well, we're going to deal with the demon here, who he was and kind of in context. Now, uh, what I want us to do, I want us to look at a couple of places here. If somebody go to Romans 1 and read verse 1, 2, and 3, Romans 1, first of Romans, first three verses of the book of Romans, somebody go there for us? Thank you, Cindy. I'd appreciate that. Um, And then um, we're going to go another couple of places here. Uh, Sally, did I see your hand? Would you go to 9, and I'm going to have you read 32, 33, and 34. So that's uh, Matthew 9, verse 32, 33, and 34, and that'll get us kind of where we need to be. Now, uh, look at verse 23. What did the crowd say? I wonder if this is the son of David. That's a thing, and that's a moniker or a name that would be ascribed to one of the names, at least, that would be ascribed to the Messiah when he was to come. Now listen to what Paul says about this. Romans 1, first three verses.
1: Paul, a servant of Christ (coughs) Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David.
0: Okay, now, um, Sally, I ask you to go to 9. Would you read right here, read verse 27? In 9? Uh-huh, and then I'm going to have you come back to it in a minute.
1: As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David.
0: Now, interestingly, so it was thought, uh, one of the things that would fit if the Messiah was here is that he would be a son, a descendant of David, but unlike David, who did lots and lots of things, right? Unlike David, this son of David would heal. And, and so they, they begin to wonder. But not everyone recognized him as Messiah, did they? In fact, by the time we get to verse 24, there's a group that's kind of watching over this scenario and his detractors, which are identified in the, um, the story as uh, Pharisees, um, what did they think? Or at least, what did they say? They said, well, if he's casting out demons, um, he must have gotten his power from a greater demon. Now... Uh, So Sally, if I can come back to you. Matthew 9, read 32, 33, and 34.
1: While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons.
0: This isn't the first time they've said this, and they. So the idea here is, they're they're postulating here that Jesus, if he's able to do this, if he's able to do this powerful demonic uh, exorcism, then he must be in cahoots with a major demon. And the, the name I want to throw out, the name here is Beelzebub, and that's, that's an Old Testament name. You can read about him in a couple of places. He is kind of a, one of the small g gods of the Philistines, and they begin to call him um, kind of uh, a prince of demons. Uh, the name I would throw out that you and I might understand is it's screw Tape. Remember Screwtape? In the Screwtape letter C.S. Lewis, Screwtape is a demon um, uh, supervisor. Okay? So what these guys are saying is that he must be in cahoots with Screwtape. With a boss demon. Interesting, right? And slanderous. Now, what I want you to catch here, and I don't, I don't pretend to understand this. I just think it's interesting. Jesus doesn't get after him for criticizing him. He's going to get after him in a minute for another reason. But the slander is toward him. And he's going to say, be careful that you don't go to the next step. Okay, so... Um, This is kind of what happened. It's happened before, it's happening again. Now we're going to, Steve, before you leave us, I'm going to have you read 25 down through 30 because it gets kind of rich right here. Jesus says, okay, I'm going to teach these guys. So here we go, Uh, 25 down through 30.
2: Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. Every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. For again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions, Unless he first ties up the strong man, then he can rob his house. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters
0: Okay, I'm going to have a couple of other spots that we need to go to. Cindy, can I get you to go to Ephesians 2.2? Sally, I'm going to come back to you in a minute for uh, for, uh, Matthew 9.35. And then I need somebody to read Acts 19, verse 13 through 16. Joanne, will you do that one? And we'll, we'll get there and just a it. Now, where have you heard this statement of verse 25 before? You heard it if you're alive on, I'm not suggesting that uh, by you, um, um, Ellie, but if you're alive on June 16, 1858, you heard then-President Abraham Lincoln say, a house divided against itself cannot stand. So, Jesus here is quoting Lincoln, right?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I think I know enough history to know that that's kind of flip-flopped, right? It, it, interesting. One of the great statements ever made at a time when this country was divided. You read in red today. The words, the, the uh, immutable Perfect, life giving words of Jesus. A house divided against itself cannot sin. So he begins his uh, kind of handling of this by saying, um, Guys, your logic is really flawed. And by the way, notice here in verse 25, he says, He's got an advantage. You ready? He knew their thoughts. You ever had anybody call you out in a meeting, and and uh, they were telling you what you thought, and they couldn't have been further wrong. (laughs) I I I think about I've I've been very reflective. Uh, Rhonda, how many days do we have of work? How many days until we're done? Six, six working. Six working days, nine Nine total days. Okay, I knew she'd know. Um, um, but I've been kind of reflective about all the things I've been into in the last 46 years. And uh, I remember a, a scenario probably uh, 15 years ago where somebody, a, a leader in, in a meeting full of people, called me out for this. He wouldn't be an ugly. He was just saying, ah, that's because you're a whatever. And I had to, uh, my face turned a little bit red as I said to him, uh, sir, you couldn't be more wrong. You know, because he thought he knew what I was thinking. Jesus did know what they were thinking. And so he calls them out here using this house divided thing. And he begins to talk about that there is a warfare existing between the kingdom of Satan, the devil, and the kingdom of God. Spiritual war exists. We believe that say, the Bible teaches us that Satan has his own, quote, kingdom, end quote. Um, uh, it's, Cindy, would you read Ephesians 2 2? It's going to refer to it. I'll, I'll start with one. Mm-hmm. As for you,
1: you were dead in sin, and your trespasses in sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work.
0: There's a kingdom around us that has a ruler. And all the stuff that you read about in the paper or listen to in the evening news that is not godly has a source. Okay? Now, I don't want you to get, get, as my dad would say, snakes in your boots about that. Don't get scared of that. Because we're going to see who's really in charge. Okay. But we just need to know there's a, there are two kingdoms in conflict and, uh, and um, there is one who is all about evil and one who is all about good. Uh, Sally, you got to read what is God's kingdom like. It, there's a kind of a description of it, in my opinion, in, in uh, Matthew nine thirty five.
1: Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom.
0: And healing every disease and sickness. The kingdom of God, you got to catch this, is where good happens. Did then? It does now. It does now. By the way, you got to dial up my new best friend that I've never met. If you watch the news on Channel 9, there's a dude on there that I just can't wait till he a report every week. His name is Mike Glover, and he does a report every evening called Something Good. And it's always just really good stuff. Rhonda and I just can't wait to see what he's coming out with next. Something good. Whenever there's something good going on, that's what the kingdom is like. Okay? So there's a war going on between these two. And so in verse 27, Jesus says a brilliant thing. I want you to catch it here. He uses judo against them. You know what judo is? It's where you use your opponent's um, uh, momentum against them. I, I don't pretend to know how that works. I just know that's kind of how, what it is. You use your opponent's Momentum against. I mean, that's literally. They say, "Well, you're able to do this because you're demonic too." And um, he says, "Wait a minute, here. You've got exorcist too. What does that say of the guys that you've got throwing demons at? He talks to him about their the word that goes in your blank is here. Hypocrisy. Now, I want you to I want you to see a story where some um, kind of Jewish, probably Pharisaical exorcists, uh, the guys encounter in the book of Acts. Uh, this is in Act 19, and we're going to hear hear of them as the seven sons of Siva. Joanne, you read 13 through 16 from Acts 19.
1: Those who were demon possessed, they would say, "In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out." Seven son of Sceva, a mm-hmm. Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, "Jesus, I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you?" Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding.
0: Did you catch this story? Uh, This would make a great movie right here. Um, um, There's there's some guys that are, are not believers in Jesus, but they try to invoke his name. And they're casting out demons. Now, but by the way, you see the hypocrisy here in verse, in verse uh, 27. So these seven sons uh, just decide they can use Jesus' name as a good luck charm. And the devil says to them, okay, I know Paul. I know Jesus. Who are you? And the demon comes out of the kid they're working with and beats him up. I, I, I just kind of love that story. There's something about that hypocrisy that makes me uh, just kind of insanely giddy, you know, over what happens here. So, Jesus then in verse 28 claims that his power over demons has a reason. It signals, you remember I said, why are there demons so much in the New Testament? It signals the arrival of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. Remember that good thing? The kingdom of God is here. Um, he had predicted this and preached this from the beginning the gospel of the kingdom Uh, he taught you and me and them to pray that the kingdom would come you remember that in in Jesus model prayer in 935 Uh, so we've kind of got that going on here so what I want you to understand before we get to verse 29 is that Jesus day by day is overtaking Satan's kingdom. Can I tell you something? You're not going to read about this in in the paper. He's still doing it. He's doing some of it through you. He is overtaking Satan's territory, and Satan doesn't like it. And so in verse 29, he gives like a one-verse parable. It's not a parable. It's more of an analogy. But he gives this one-verse parable, and he says... Uh, that the power at Jesus' disposal was stronger than what he's going to call here the strong man. Now, what we've got to kind of catch here in this quick one-verse analogy is, um, how do you loot uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's house?
2: Careful.
0: If you want to take all this good stuff, how do you loot Schwarzenegger's house? Careful. Uh, carefully. Carefully. By the way, he's older, so we, we it might be doable. But still, how do you loot Schwarzenegger's house? You take with you a stronger man. You take uh, if you're if you grew up in the 60s and 70s like me, you take Lou Ferrigno with you. Remember Lou Ferrigno, the Incredible Hulk. If you grew up in the 90s and the 2000s and the 2020s, you take um, you, you take Thor with you, which I'm not a fan of Thor. My daughter's a fan of Thor and his hammer. Um, if you want to overtake a strong man's stuff, you take with you a stronger man. Here's what John says later. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. That's 1 John 4, 4. Compared to the Holy Spirit at work in Jesus and in you, the devil is like Danny DeVito. He's a pipsqueak, you know? Uh, You got to hear that, gang. The power at Jesus' disposal was stronger than the strong man and he goes on to say, so you got to choose sides. Whose side are you on? There's no neutral zone. That's what goes in that blank. Now, we've got to read two more verses. Cindy, can I have you read 31 and 32 and I'll land the plane.
1: And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven
0: neither in this age or in the age to come. Okay, I I wish we were out of time, so I wouldn't have to deal with this. I I really don't, but okay, this is hard stuff. And Jesus links it in here with these men who are attributing the good things he does to the devil. Okay, so that's the context, Is what we've been studying here. And what you and I need to know is that slandering God and his work is a really serious matter. Slandering God and what God is doing, God's work, is a really serious matter. And so when you read about this stuff, or you hear somebody saying something about it, just realize um, you don't necessarily need to take them on, but realize it's a pretty serious thing. Um, Somebody go over to Hebrews. Rhonda, can you go over to Hebrews 6? and read 4, 5, and 6. Uh, it's going give, to give us a, an extreme example of this. So uh, this is not the only place in Scripture where an unforgivable f- offense is referred to. And I'm going to quote our pastor, our senior pastor. The unforgivable sin is not divorce. Okay, remember he, uh, this is one of his pet subjects. Because sometimes we're, those who have been divorced and remarried kind of treat that way. Um, uh, and so uh, we know it's not <laughs> that, I think. Um, but um, uh, we've got to catch this here because when somebody says God didn't do this, they're in danger. When God does something clearly and you say God didn't do this, uh, there's, there's a danger there. Rhonda Reed, um, th- th- this is extreme, but it comes from Hebrews 6, 4, 5, and 6. Lord okay. it is
1: impossible. Tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and have fallen away. To restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt.
0: So there, did you hear that? It seemed like there's there's a there's a place you can go beyond, from which you cannot return, and. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll leave Brother Paul to deal with this. I had a Hebrews class in seminary, and they danced all around this Paul in my Baptist seminary. Okay, uh, just be aware there's some danger here. I think, right? And if you're slandering God or God's work, the work of the Holy Spirit, you're in kind of a it's kind of a bad place. So in verse 32, I'm going to read it again out loud because it's really important that we get it. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. Isn't it interesting? He's not worried about that. You can say whatever you want to about me. Jesus constantly was having somebody criticize him. You know that? He said that can be forgiven you. In fact, it often happened. But he says, the second part of verse 32, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit... It shall not be forgiven, him, either in this age or in the age to come. And I reference back to Hebrews 6 for that. Now, what I want you to catch here is this is a warning, not a judgment. That's what prompted me to, as I was studying this this week, to think, did Jesus love the Pharisees? He loved them enough here to say, be careful, guys. You're near going to a place you don't want to go. I think he did love them, even though he let them have it. Um, He warned them. Therefore, those who were doing this were falling, they were just short of whatever this is. But they were close. John Milton wrote the watershed book. Paradise Lost, and in uh, book four, in that fourth volume of Paradise Lost, that Milton has Satan musing at length on his situation and his prospects, and Satan realizes that his rebellion against God has left him without hope for uh, redemption, and so he says, farewell hope. He then reasons, all good to me is lost. He'd begun a journey away from God from which there was no return. So he decides, and listen to this chilling sentence. So in the book, he says, Milton wrote it, Evil, be thou my good. Go with me to Isaiah five. If you find it, evil, be thou my good. That's just a step too far. Here's what here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah five. I'm going to read from verse twenty. There's a lot of woes in here. So I, I looked up the word woe. Uh, this is not, you know. Uh, this is not They say, whoa. Uh, it, this is terrible, devastating. A woe being pronounced on you by God. Listen to what God says right here. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness. Who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So, here's where we'll kind of end this discussion. You and I need to be careful not to reverse the order of good and evil. Uh, That may be just a step too far. Be careful. Uh, the, The older I get, the less I'm interested in calling evil, evil. Because, you know, it's so prevalent, I don't need to call it out. It should be kind of obvious sometimes. But the truth is, I need to be really careful to call good, good. You know? To see what you're doing and say, how about you? Look what God is going, doing through you. I just need to be careful not to reverse the order of good and evil. Well, we got through it. I I survived. I hope. God bless you. It's so good to see you. We'll be in Matthew 13 next week and we'll look some more at the kingdom. Okay? Good to see you. Have a great Sunday.